This is the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson, Senior Editor of Education Next. This past week, the Boston Globe reported that teacher union leaders in New Jersey were sending teachers to the Recovery Institute of South Florida, despite complaints that the institute was isolating patients in order to gain ample reimbursements from companies that run union-controlled health benefit plans. I felt like a prisoner, Michael Barone, a special education aide, told the reporters. He couldn't return to his job until the Institute signed off on his condition. That, of course, took 90 days, the very length of time the insurance companies reimbursed the company. Another teacher complained, I strongly feel that I'm expected to stay just for insurance purposes. And so on it goes. A competing firm hired the former chief lobbyist for the New Jersey Education Association, presumably because he had the connections to deliver the firm the union contract for mental health services. The New Jersey Education Association said it wasn't aware of just exactly what was happening to the patients. Well, this alleged set of scams raises a larger question. Should school boards sign collective bargaining agreements that allow unions that represent teachers to have sole control over the insurance policies available to those teachers and paid for by the school district? To discuss this question, I have with me today on the Education Exchange, Michael Podgurski, an economics professor at the University of Missouri, one of the country's leading authorities on teacher benefit policies. Michael, how widespread is this practice of school district delegation of teacher benefit plans to unions with whom they're bargaining in the collective bargaining process? Well, it's certainly more widespread than New Jersey. So we, we, where, where, teacher, where public sector unions have, um, where, where the laws, the state laws give public sector unions a lot of scope and power for bargaining, often they will push out the envelope, if you will, by pressing the employer to favor um, uh, certain vendors over others, and in some cases go to vendors that are actually run by the union. Um, a good example or a related example on this was in Wisconsin where the um, uh, the unions, the, the state teacher association, ran its own health insurance plan, which was considerably more expensive than um, many competitors' plans, and then would negotiate uh, uh, contracts with school districts that would require them to buy health insurance from their own plan. Um, Governor uh, Walker's um, Act 10, or the, the, the bill that he pushed and the legislature passed, which got so much attention uh, a number of years ago, uh, one of the features of that forced the school districts to competitively bid health insurance plans. Now, you would think that would be sort of assumed <laughs> that you would competitively, competitively bid these things. But that was one feature of the plan that caused so much opposition from the unions. But the result of that is that these costs have dropped now in, in uh, school districts, and, um, you know, the teachers uh, get... Uh, uh, much more cost efficient, uh, and, and the taxpayers get more cost efficient benefits for their teachers. So, um, 
you know, it, it's hard to know how expensive this is, but where you get sort of strong unions dealing with weak school boards, the window, the opportunity is open for this sort of um, uh, these types of deals. To so, be made. what is it that the union? Why does the union want this? It would seem like this is a responsibility for which they're not particularly well suited. Uh, I mean, the job of unions is to represent their members, not to run a service delivery system. Why do unions want to take on this job? Well, you could think of a union as sort of a a not-for-profit business that wants to increase its revenues. And uh, it can re- increase its revenue. You know, the more revenues it has, the more people it can hire, the, the more um, uh, the, the more their salaries can go up. So they're, they're a business trying to, to maximize quote-unquote profits or surplus, and, you know, they sell services. Now, one of the services they sell is representation uh, services for union members. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, and the members pay dues for that, but they also sell insurance. Uh, in, in the case of Wisconsin, they sell insurance policies and can make a profit off of that. There have been other cases where the unions have made substantial profits off of, you know, credit card. They have deals worked out with credit card companies and, and you know, other vendors that that um, advertise to the teachers, and then the, the union gets a cut of the of the um, uh, well, sales. Well, at least the, dis- the the district's not involved in that, right? That's yeah, just okay, a separate. That, that's true. But okay. here you've got a situation where the district is actually agreeing to letting some entity that you would presume to be thought of as hostile to them in some ways because they're representing the other side in a collective bargaining. They're actually giving the other side control of a very important part of the package of, of compensation that they're providing their employees. Well, that's true. And, and the, the, I think a core problem here uh, with public sector collective bargaining, but particularly with school boards is we have 14,000 school boards in the U.S. and, you know, hundreds of them in states like Wisconsin or thousands, a thousand of them in California, you know, with elected uh, unpaid school board members, um, you know, with no particular expertise in collective bargaining. Um, And, uh, you know the so so you know the and so they're dealing with a single strong union association in a Wisconsin or California or New Jersey, and uh, and and they're just uh, uh, you know their bargaining power isn't as great, and we know that the unions spend lot spend money on school board elections trying to get sympathetic candidates elected. The school board elections are. Uh, typically, quote unquote, nonpartisan, held in the spring when turnout is low, so the unions are able to have a lot of influence uh, on the other side of the bargaining table as well. You know, have influence on who sits on the school board, and and they have much. They come to the table with much more expertise than um, the school school board and management in. Uh, uh, in these situations. So what's the policy solution to this? How, how do you, 
How do you address this issue in a, in a systemic way in, instead of just sort of dealing with uh, uh, corruption exposure and uh, dealing with a couple of individuals or a set of individuals who uh, may be, uh, uh, you know, can be fired or, or prosecuted or something like that? How, how, what's the policy solution here? Well, there's there's lots of that was singular, but I think it's plural. There, I think there are a lot of uh, things that uh, need to be done. I think within the sphere of traditional public schools, um, I think something like Act 10 in Wisconsin was a good idea. It restricts the it restricted the scope of bargaining. It, it said, look, you can talk about um, uh, salary and some working conditions. Uh, but you know you can't you can't uh, you can't force uh, the district to buy certain health insurance policies. They have to competitively bid. So the legislature can put uh, parameters or restrictions around what a union can bargain for at the district level, and that that can prevent the contracts from getting out of control. Um, I think the one, the other thing that they required in Wisconsin is recertification. Um, the unions have to win. They have to show that every year that uh, uh, that they have uh, a majority support. The way the typical state works is, if you win the election once, you have representation rights forever. So it's like, it's, imagine a politician that says, "Well, I won the election now, and I, and I'll continue in office until someone runs, <laughs> you know, runs a a recall election <laughs> to take me out of office." Well, that's the way collective bargaining works in most states is, you know, you only have to win once and then you have exclusive representation rights in perpetuity. Um, so, so I think that's, that's one set of things. I, the other, I think you, the elections should also be uh, moved to uh, the fall, when, November, when the turnout is higher because turnout's very low in these school board elections, and so that gives uh, the unions the potential um, – uh, to to have a lot more influence, but I also think another part of the story has got to be school choice. That um, that you know parents need to have an alternative. That if the uh, if the unions and management negotiate agreements that are just prohibitively expensive, you need a you need a check on that. You you, you need a situation where people can take their business elsewhere. So if the product in the uh, local school district has gotten so expensive, and uh, because of these kinds of agreements, parents need to be able to say, "Look, I can take that money, or 80% of that money, and put my kid in a in a charter school, or or potentially in a private school, and uh, and get my education there." So again, competition can put a check on this sort of thing. So I think part of the answer is transparency and better regulation from state governments. But I think at the end of the day, competition can put a check on this, that if it gets just out of control, people can just say, you know, uh, arrivederci, I'm taking my money and, you know, buying someone well, else's product. Well, is this out of control? I mean, how, how big a deal is the health care benefits that school employees enjoy? Do you, do you have a sense of what percent of the school budget or what percent of the per-pupil expenditures are being allocated for this purpose? 
I do know that the um, in the discussion of the Affordable Care Act, you know, that there's a tax on Cadillac, quote-unquote, Cadillac health insurance plans. Well, it turns out those Cadillac plans um, are primarily teacher union plans. So these are the Cadillac plans were, were uh, the more expensive ones. The, the you know above a certain level got taxed, and um, and you know teacher unions have have historically negotiated extremely generous health insurance plans. Where again, in Act 10 in Wisconsin, required the teachers to make a contribution towards their health insurance. Prior to that, they didn't have to pay anything. Okay, and this was this has been true in other states where unions are strong. They pay nothing or very close to nothing towards their own health insurance, which you know obviously has a narcotic effect. If if you don't have to pay anything, then you don't pay attention to what what's being spent. Well, that's what the Boston Globe reporter said: is that the operators of these scam outfits uh, targeted teachers because their benefit plans were so. Uh, luxurious that the opportunities for providing 90-day health services in, you know, uh, in in Florida, that all that could all be accommodated by the insurance policy. That's correct, and and so, you know, when you have a plan that's that generous, and you have the teachers, um, you don't have very minimal copayments. Are, are nothing's coming out of their paycheck, well, then they, they pay less attention to how the money has been spent. So, again, it opens the door towards wasteful spending. If, if you know, if someone gives you something, you're not you're going to pay less attention than if you were paying, you know, 20 percent of your insurance costs, you would say, oh, well, wait a minute, maybe we really don't need <laughs> this kind of coverage, right? Uh, or you had more choice, or you'd demand, you know, a cafeteria plan or something. That would well, you do. would think that they would at least have cafeteria plans, but... Right, uh, that yeah. say, look, I don't want to pay for that. I'm not interested in a plan that provides that sort of thing. Also remember that what one generous feature of, of many collective bargaining agreements in, in different states is um, the retirees can continue in these district plans, Um so, so not only do they get free insurance for themselves uh, and uh, and their uh, dependents while they're working in 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 LA Unified, they they that continued into retirement because teachers retire typically well before they're eligible for Medicare. So they'll they'll collect those benefits into retirement, and so this is this makes for very expensive. Um, Healthcare uh, costs. So, if you look at healthcare um, spending as a percent of salary, uh, it's 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 much higher for for teachers than in the, the typical private sector worker. But let me back up. The employer contribution towards healthcare is going to be uh, much higher for teachers than for comparable private sector workers, because in the private sector you'll have you know, some kind of cost sharing and, and deductibles and so on. And so, again, employers, private sector employers are going to have more of an incentive to keep a check on those kind of costs. Uh, so how do. about how about the pension plans? I mean, we've been talking about health care here, but the other side of the coin is in which you've got the same thing. You've got uh, uh, 
more and more retired teachers than ever before, uh, living longer than ever before, um, uh, rising costs there. Uh, it, who runs the pension programs? Does, are the unions engaged in running pension programs just like they are on occasion running health care services? Um, well, yes. The, the inf the, the, a, a very important difference between um, health care and uh, pensions is that in most cases the unions will negotiate the health care plan at the district level. However, the pension plans are usually um, in place, and, and the rules of the pension plan are in statute, so they're not collectively bargained the way the health insurance, the, the salary and health insurance benefits are. That said, the unions have an enormous influence on the, the state pension plans through the uh, uh, boards of those plans. So the typical board will will have a majority of members who are elected uh, from the uh, if if it's a teacher plan you know a majority of the members will be from active or retired teachers um, so and and they they're very they very actively the unions are very um, pay a lot of attention to who gets on those plans and 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 make sure that they. Um, their interests are well represented on the plans. They lobby the plans hard. And the plans see themselves, the, the, the uh, directors of the plans see the unions as their partners in, these, in, in the endeavors. So when they go to the legislature and say, well, we need an increase in contributions or we support this increase in benefits, you know, they, they work as a team. Um, so the unions have. So the bottom line is the unions have a lot of influence. Teacher unions have a lot of influence on the uh, uh, on the pension plans through the pension boards, and by lobbying the legislators as well. Of course, they, they contribute a lot of money to uh, uh, the uh, legislate to the politics and the legislatures. And by the way, a lot of the legislators themselves will be beneficiaries of these same pension plans. So you find a lot of legislators or retired teachers or retired school superintendents who are collecting pensions from these plans that they're supervising. So there's all kinds of cross-cutting interests and uh, connections, and uh, it's not the clean separation of responsibilities that uh, we would like to think uh, is happening in our, in our schools. Uh, we always would have liked to have had schools separated from politics, but I guess that's that's not likely. Well, the, I, can I can I just add a footnote on the the, the pensions because the, it, the situation there, the what you'd call the the principal agent problem or the agency problems, are even worse because at least the health insurance is a contemporaneous exp expense. So if if I give away more expensive health insurance benefits, it sort of immediately shows up on the books of the school district, right? If I start, like take your example you read from the Globe, that, you know, if I give away expensive uh, rehab, then it's going to show up in my health insurance premium costs very quickly, you know, within the next year or so, right? 
But with pensions, you have this ability to hide <laughs> costs. So you can give away benefits now, but the bill won't come due until people start retiring under those new benefits. So you really have an ability to kick the can down the road, as they say. And and that's, to me, the, the primary reason we've gotten in trouble on, on these pension plans is the ability to just kick the can down the road. You can so you make promises to people that are going to be paid for by folks that uh, haven't even been born yet. Uh, yes, exactly. And so the politicians are short-sighted. They say, oh, you know what, we'll take a pension holiday. We don't have to pay them off now. All of these decision-makers have, you know, have the ability to just push this off on a future generation of taxpayers or, or new teachers and, and you know, say, well, that, that's, the new teachers will pay for this. And, and that, to me, and, it, and that can't happen with a, a, a defined contribution plan. In other words, a 401K or 403B. In the private sector, they say, look, here's, here's what we're putting towards your retirement benefits. It's, we'll, we're going to give you 5% of your salary. Here it is. Put it in your savings plan. Invest it wisely. Bingo. It shows up on the books now. It's a current expenditure and and uh, and that's and trans it's transparent. The payment is made. There's no hidden cost. But but these pension these def- traditional teacher pension plans have enormous potential for mischief, and we're we're seeing the fruits of that now. Well, I think you're absolutely right. the The Boston Globe piece uh, uh, opens up a very large can of worms, not only with respect to Healthcare policy and uh, ins- healthcare insurance for teachers, but uh, also for the the pension plan, which has its own uh, problems, uh, even even deeper problems, because uh, they don't become apparent uh, immediately. So, thank you very much, uh, Michael. I've been speaking with Michael Podgurski here on the Education Exchange. I'm Paul Peterson. Senior Editor at Education Next. This is the Education Exchange. Uh, Thank you, Michael, for joining me today on the Education Exchange. You're welcome. Thank you.